0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open the Word of God first to Luke chapter 4, verse 38 through 44. Jesus left the synagogue, this is the synagogue in Capernaum, and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But He rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew He was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for Him. And when they came to where He was, he they tried to keep Him from leaving them. But He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. And He kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's now turn ahead to the letter to the Romans, and we'll read that passage, which ends with the same exhortation we heard a few moments ago. So Romans 1, verses 8 through 17, just as the Lord Jesus said that He came to preach the Gospel, so the Apostle Paul, as a true disciple of Christ, says the same. Romans 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles." I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let us open our Bibles one more time now to Mark chapter one. The text this afternoon is the verses 29 to 39, but let's not just skip over the verses 21 through 28. So let's read those verses all together in the verses twenty one to twenty eight the emphasis is on the authority of Christ, his authority in his teaching in the synagogue he he takes the regular place that Jewish adult males would take and he after the scroll is read he expounds on the scriptures and he teaches as one who has authority then he dries out demons with authority. that's the passage that it lies between this morning's text and this afternoon's text. So let's start reading at Mark 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at His teaching because He taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And now this is our text for this afternoon, starting at verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ... People like to be known for who they really are. Sometimes our own picture of who we are and other people's picture of who we are aren't the same. But we want people to know us for who we are or who we think we are. And so suppose that the local newspaper printed the proceedings of a trial and somehow you were one of the witnesses and your testimony was included in there Your name was included. And the rest of the world had this little window into your life. And it was a negative window. It didn't really show who you were. It made it seem like you weren't very trustworthy. And you would just want to write a little autobiography and send it into the editor and say, please publish this. This is who I really am. I don't want to be known by second and third hand evidence and so on. Well, that is one of the ways we're going to come into our text this afternoon. There's another way that we can understand it quite well in the Canadian Reformed churches. And this has to do with playing Dutch bingo. And let me explain, in case you didn't grow up in the Canadian Reformed churches, you might not understand what I mean, but you've probably encountered it. Many of the members of these churches are of Dutch extraction and spread across Canada. That's a blessing. If you travel across Canada, you can stop at another faithful church of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have friends that want to go to another town and you say to them, hey, I not only know a church there that's faithful to God, but I can tell you the names of some people who might even put you up for the night and so on. It's a close-knit community. But the problem arises when somebody new walks in the door here and We don't know who they are. So Dutch bingo starts. If their last name is Dutch, then the game begins. Are you related to so-and-so? Oh, did your uncle live there or have that business? And did you immigrate from there? And do you know this person? And so on. Now, there are obvious dangers with this approach. Number one, when we can connect someone to others... That often seems to be sufficient. Oh yeah, okay, now I know who you are. Done. Hi, see you later. And people don't want to be known just by who they're connected to. And problem number two, what about when someone's last name isn't Dutch? What do you say next? How are we going to get to know them? Because we can't play our little game. And then they get you get a puzzled look on your face because their last name is Brown. And number three, as we said, every person likes to be known for who they are, not just who they're connected to. And every person is unique. They have their own character, their own likes and dislikes. And Dutch Bingo has the danger then of basically judging who they are without really knowing them, compartmentalizing them, And knowing them based on relatives, family, and connection, it's it's really not fair, is it? It's not how you want to be known. It's not helpful for outreach. And it runs the risk of suggesting to people that our earthly familial connections are more important than the heavenly and spiritual family of faith. Well, keep this in mind now. As we enter our text this afternoon, There's a problem, it's there in Mark 1, verse 21-28, to which we're not focusing on right now, and it led Jesus to say to this unclean spirit, be quiet, be quiet, come out of him. And it happens in our text again today, he would not, it's verse 34, let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And Jesus had to face this problem early on in his ministry that people didn't, and Well, almost couldn't, unless they really soaked themselves in the Scriptures and were truly led by the Spirit, couldn't really know Him for who He was. Isn't this Joseph's son, they would ask? Isn't he from Nazareth? Carpenter? And the religious leaders in Judea never got over that. They never let go of it. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the way that they identified Jesus. And then additionally, if the demons spoke and the people believed what the demons said, which on itself was correct, you're the Holy One of God. But if the people believed that, then they still wouldn't know Jesus for who He really was, but only in accordance with their preconceived ideas of who the Holy One is supposed to be. So the message of the text for us is this. Jesus wants us to learn His true identity from Him and trust him and we learn that through the scriptures and through the way he is proclaiming himself in this text and so his identity is first of all revealed in pity or compassion as he heals Peter's dear mother-in-law verses 29 to 31 and then his identity is revealed in in power and in control in the verses 32 to 34 and then it's again spoken of in verse 39 how he uh commands the unclean spirits and the demons to come out and finally his identity is revealed in prayer and preaching where he himself says in verses 33 to 38 that he came to preach and they find him in prayer in communion with God so first his identity revealed in pity or compassion so we begin in verse 29 says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Now remember that Jesus had found Simon and Andrew casting their nets into the lake and had called them away from their occupations to follow Him. And immediately after that, He had called James and John who were preparing their nets. And these four men had followed Jesus right away. And we we could learn from the Gospel according to Luke that after Jesus called them, the first place He actually went was to Nazareth. Mark sets that aside and goes right away to the visit to Capernaum, which is at least a Sabbath or a week later. In Nazareth, the people had rejected Him in His hometown and they wanted to throw Him off of a cliff. Luke 4, verse 29. But now we come at least a week later Next Sabbath, or perhaps several Sabbaths later, we don't know for sure. But these four men are still with Jesus. So they've not followed along with the crowd of Nazareth. They're following along with Jesus. And so they are in Capernaum. And in both Nazareth and in Capernaum, these two northern towns, Jesus followed the religious structures of the day. He didn't hate religion and what he did on that Sabbath day was teach the Scriptures to the people in the synagogue as was the normal practice. And so as we come to our text, it says as soon as they left the synagogue, that's referring then to the Sabbath day, they left because uh, they had just participated in synagogue worship. And now they're going to Simon and Andrew's house for supper. Verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. And so he went to help her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Now recall then from this morning that Mark wrote his Gospel sitting at the feet of Peter. And Peter relates a very personal experience of what might seem like a small thing. His mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. But in ancient times, these things were not so well understood. A fever might well not be treatable, might well lead to death, or might not. Luke the physician writes that she had a high fever. This is a fairly serious fever. It's evidently uh, so serious she cannot get up to serve her guests. But it doesn't seem as though they expect that she's going to die. Now there are a few other details to notice. This is Peter's home. And Peter is married, for he has a mother-in-law. If you know your New Testament, the apostle Paul one time wrote to the Corinthians, chapter 1 Corinthians 9. And he said, don't we have the same right as Peter and the brothers of the Lord to have a wife? So the Lord's brothers like James and Jude, as well as Peter here, were all married. And Peter transmits the story in a very homey and close-up way. You could, I think, guess that if Peter was making up the story, as some scholars might charge many stories of the Bible are made up, it would have to be an extremely elaborate hoax if that was true. But even just look at the details of this little story. If Jesus is going to heal somebody, isn't He going to use a, a poultice of figs or some special strong drinker Wave his hands or say some special secret incantation. No, Peter just relates the story in a very simple way. Jesus saw her ill, he took her by her hand, and he helped her up. When you look carefully at this sequence of events in verse 31, he took her hand, he helped her up, but as far as the text is concerned, she still has a fever. Then it says the fever left her. So the fever leaves her as she's getting up or after she gets up. But part of this is that the Lord requires of Peter's mother-in-law faith. She could have pulled her hand back and said, no, 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 I don't feel good. But she had to just trust that Jesus was helping her up and and there had to be this this pull. Physical, but also a mental, spiritual pull that She just trusts in Jesus and gets up. And the miracle shows Jesus' power over the fever, but the emphasis of the text is not simply power, but pity and compassion, even for such seemingly small things as a fever. So this is not an unclean spirit, as we already could find in the verses 21 to 28, which had just happened in the synagogue. It's not an unclean spirit. She's simply suffering a, a fever, maybe 104 degrees. And Jesus is moved to compassion even for the somewhat minor troubles of our life. Look at what he did for Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus also cares that she was unable to carry out her God-given tasks. As soon as she is up, it says she began to wait on them. Now, those aren't wasted words. She began to wait on them because that's what she wanted to do and that was her God-given task. She was going to serve them food and drink. And what a privilege she had to serve the Lord Jesus Himself. And if you will think about this for a moment, she might well have said no. She could have said to Jesus, why are You setting foot in my house? You took my son-in-law Peter and his brother Andrew And you took them from their regular occupation and you're going to go traipsing all over the countryside talking in synagogues and making a big show or something like that. Aren't you just from Nazareth, she might have said? But she doesn't. She shows some faith. For she cares for their needs you see that she's already coming to know Jesus for who He is. And this is the challenge for this household. They need to decide for themselves who Jesus is. Just a week or perhaps a few before, He was on the verge of being cast off a cliff by one of the neighboring towns. But they have to decide for themselves who Jesus is. They find out that He's not a sword-wielding fighter, but He's the gentle healer. And they learn it directly from Jesus and this builds up their trust in Him. And our calling, brothers and sisters, is to receive Jesus just as the Scriptures teach us. Not as a political organizer, not as a magician, but as the gentle healer. He came with compassion. The Lord Jesus came to fulfill and He did fulfill Isaiah 42. A bruised reed He will not break and a smoldering wick He will not snuff out. The Lord Jesus loves you with a deeper compassion than we can find on earth. Don't ever forget that, but trust Him in your most difficult and unhappiest days. He reveals Himself in pity and compassion. Now He also, when He wants us to learn His true identity, reveals Himself in power and control. So we come to verse 32 and 33. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Now, recall that this has been the Sabbath day. And we have to remember that for the Jews, the Sabbath day ends when the sun goes down. They started observing Sabbath Friday night when the sun went down. They finished Saturday night when the sun goes down. And so they wait till the end of their day of rest, their Saturday. And once it's over, they grab the beds and they help the sick hobble along and they bring them all to Jesus. And this is a long time ago. They don't have electricity. They don't have streetlights. So they're coming by moonlight. They're coming with torches aloft. And it's quite a sight to see them all streaming to this one house in their town. They knew what Jesus had said and done in their synagogue earlier before the sun went down on the Sabbath. And they've surely also heard that He has shown His tender compassion to Peter's mother-in-law. So they come in confidence to the gentle healer and they gather at the door of the house, it says, shows that there are too many for them to all fit inside. And these people too learn from Jesus how compassionate and gentle he is. He takes pity on them. They also see his power. Their sick are made well in an instant. For some of them, Jesus used touch. That's what Luke tells us in chapter four. But he also used his voice. And the text of Mark emphasizes his voice as he took care of the demons. And in that way, his power is highlighted. Verse 34 says, He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now if you go back to verse 25 for a moment, There is a demon in verse 24 who says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And the demon is right, but Jesus says, be quiet, come out of him. And so the Lord Jesus can cast out the demons simply by speaking, just like God created the world. And in fact, as you go through the Gospels, that's the only way Jesus ever did drive out demons. He just spoke. And they had to obey Jesus especially exerted His power in this case because Satan seems to have surrounded the Lord with demons. And Satan, remember what James writes, the demons believe and shudder. They know the Bible. It's public knowledge. Demons know what's in the Bible. They know what it said in the Old Testament. And there are unclean spirits around observing, giving reports to Satan. And so when... Mary and Joseph took their child to the temple and Simeon rejoiced and Anna sang in praise of God. A demon could report. Messiah has been born. And so Satan could move Herod to try and kill all the baby boys of Bethlehem. And after that, Satan had infiltrated many people in Galilee with demons. Demons. It's, it's really remarkable. These, these are relatively small towns. Nazareth, Capernaum, they're just up north. Little towns. And people are bringing multiple demon-possessed people to the door. In verse 39, we read that he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So, all throughout Galilee, Jesus encounters demons. And the people of that time were therefore looking for healers who could actually cast out these demons. And Jesus shows His power over them by doing just that. And so God has a way of working good out of evil. He's going to make something good out of these demons possessing people by allowing the Lord Jesus to show the true reason for His coming. So God has created an opportunity For Jesus to show what it means that the kingdom of God is among you. He came to show, as the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6, our our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So He showed us that He defeated these powers. And Jesus shows His force over these powers, shows His power over them, by even forbidding them to speak as we read. He would not let the demons speak because they knew who He was. So Jesus would decide how and when and where His identity would be announced. And so, this thing that happened in verse 25 where Jesus said to the unclean spirit, Be quiet happens again in verse 34 he wouldn't let them speak and in verse 43 of the chapter there's a a man who's healed and Jesus strongly warns him verse 44 see that you don't tell this to anyone and there are reasons for this in the case of the demons in particular the demons are identifying Jesus by name and in the world of the dark darkness the dark powers Having the name and saying the name together with a curse is supposed to give a certain power over the named person or being. So the demons are using Jesus' name suggesting they might have power over Him. Jesus will not let that happen. There's another societal reason at work here. And it's that the people had false expectations. Expectations. And we can be sure that the demons had played a role in this over the decades and the centuries prior to Christ. The people expected their Messiah to lead them in war, to free them from the Romans, to take an earthly throne, literally. To feed them. To make them rich. That's why we read in Luke 4 that they were going to keep Him from... Leaving. That was in chapter 4 of Luke verse 42. The people were looking for him. They came to where he was. They tried to keep him from leaving them. Hey, they'd love that to have the center of power right there, right in their town. Not, let's have Jesus here. In John's gospel in chapters 6 verse 15, he relates that the people wanted to make him king by force. And so Jesus quickly left. The more they thought that Jesus was the Messiah of their dreams, the more they would actually turn against Him because, well, instead of giving them riches, here He would call them to repentance and tell them to give all their goods to the poor. And what good was healing their sick if they were still ruled by a foreign power? So Jesus simply commanded the demons not to say who He was, and they had no choice but... To obey. So the question here is, from whom and at what time and by what means will the people learn who Jesus really is? This is very remarkable. Think about what a demon does. When someone is possessed by a demon, they lose control at certain times over their thoughts, their tongue, their speech. And so demons are those beings which control the mind, they infiltrate the heart, and they control the speech of a person. And Jesus says, be quiet, and they can't do a thing about it. He's the true Messiah. But the people do not yet know it. He reveals himself with the power to draw demons out of poor souls and throw them away without even allowing them to speak. This is truly astonishing. And when Jesus does this and reveals Himself in this way, He calls for our faith. Jesus wants us to accept Him just as He reveals Himself as the Jesus of power and control. He wants us to learn His true identity from Him and trust Him. Some people today fear demons. There are demons around. There are. They enslave people in false religions and in superstitions. They help those who work in witchcraft, in Wicca, in paganism, in sorcery, tarot card, and palm reading for divination. And Christians should have no part in these things at all. They are dangerous. But if you are in Christ, not only will you stay far away from these things because He cast them away, but you will also not fear them for Christ is in you. He has that place by His Holy Spirit. And that's how missionaries could go into villages with witch doctors and witchcraft everywhere and stand firm. They were assaulted greatly by the spiritual forces of evil, but they had the Holy Spirit. And they trusted one little word shall fell them all. And they knew that because they read the Scriptures about what the Lord Jesus did. He has might and power and control over them, and that's who He is. As the Son of God, He has defeated them, and He wants us to learn His true identity from these actions of His. So we can fish for men in the confidence that the Spirit can overcome even the darkest soul. And so in the last place, the Lord wants us to know His identity in prayer and preaching and to trust Him because of it. It's verse 35 and following where it says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, so this would be a, a Sunday morning, it's still dark. Sun's just coming up. Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where He prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So we finish our text this afternoon with Jesus Himself openly identifying the reason why He came and doing so after they find Him alone in a time of prayer. Jesus clearly states that He came to preach. He says in verse 38, let's go to the other villages so I can preach there also, that is why I have come. That is why I have come. It's a very good translation. Literally, for this I came. For this purpose. I came came to announce the good news of salvation, to preach it, and thereby to teach His true identity and tell the people what they really needed. The people were all looking for Jesus because they liked His miracles. But He Himself identified His teaching as being more important. You can be healed of all your physical diseases, but if you don't know Christ as He truly is, if you haven't believed the good news of salvation, then that healing will not be of benefit and you won't honestly and rightly out of true faith praise God for it. So the Lord Jesus says, you have to listen to Me. And when He says that, He has to go about preaching more. He means He's going to open the Scriptures. He's going to unroll those Old Testament scrolls that they have in the synagogues. He's going to read from them and He's going to close them up and say, now I'm going to explain this to you. And that's what He came to do to show that He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And Jesus reveals His true identity and He has to do it Himself. Besides John the Baptist, it's just Jesus who reveals the true meaning of the Scriptures and reveals who He is because so many people around Him, before Him, around us, and before us have misrepresented who He is. Jesus is not just a nice but misunderstood man. Jesus is not a magical miracle worker. Jesus is not the always encouraging person that Praise 106.5 claims to be. Jesus knows how to clear the temple too. Jesus is not the Republican Party, he's not the Democrat Democratic Party, Um, he's not the NDP or the Conservatives, he's Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah who came from God and makes us right with God by faith. And this Jesus says right here that his main task why he came is to be the herald of God. That's why I came. So if you want to know who Jesus is, listen to him. And to listen to Him, what do you do? You read what He said. you got to know your Bible. You could read all kinds of books that talk about Jesus. But if you don't actually read the Bible, how are you going to test what all the other books say about Him? If you want to know Jesus, listen to what He says. He wants you to know firsthand And since this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is first-hand knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's His Holy Spirit. So study your Bible and pray to know your Savior. Indeed, Jesus Himself is found praying. He's found praying because He's just been busy explaining the Scriptures, casting out demons, healing diseases. And this requires that He stay in constant communion with His Father to draw on His Father for strength. And so there He is, praying all alone, entirely depending on God for His earthly work. And this also teaches us who He is. Jesus has a perfect communion with God. And the closeness to God that we want, that we should desire, it's only available in the Lord Jesus. That's the perfect communion of a human being with God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one on earth has ever had such a perfect communion with God. And that's why we always ask God to fill up what we lack by filling it up with what Christ has been and is for us. So even the strength for prayer that we need comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the mighty Messiah who can forbid demons to speak, and yet, here He is. As human as you and me, praying, relying on His Father for all His words and actions. And so here's Jesus who perfectly lived everything that you're called to live, and then beyond that, fulfilled the special role that was for Him as Messiah to save us. So here's our Lord Jesus. Perfect and focused, loving and compassionate, Powerful and commanding. Jesus isn't asking us to believe in Him so that we can see miracles and get special words from God whispered in our ears. He's asking us to believe in Him because we have come to know Him based on His own words recorded in Holy Scripture and because we commune with Him and His Father in prayer. So Jesus wants us to know His true identity from Himself. Don't rely on others. Go and find out for yourself. Open this Gospel of Mark yourself and read it. Check the cross references. Go through all the Word of God. Check up on what has been proclaimed about Jesus Christ today. Has Jesus been presented to you as He Himself is and was? Is this Jesus, the compassionate, the powerful, the prayerful, and the preaching Savior? Is this Jesus who loves us and our children and has compassion even when we have a cold or the flu or a bad headache? Is this Jesus the one who meets our most serious needs? Is this Jesus who knows us inside, out, and knowing even our sinful nature, then gave His life of obedience and suffering to save us forever? Is this Jesus healing the sick, controlling the demons, having communion with God in prayer and announcing God's kingdom and God's power come to earth in Himself and now present everywhere by the Spirit of God? Is this Jesus? This should be Jesus for you. And this should be Jesus for everyone. He's the Christ, the Messiah of God. He came, He saw, and yes, He conquered. Not the Romans, but way better. The devil. And that's His true identity. He has revealed Himself to you in that way so that you would trust Him as He is And so trusting Him as He is, brothers and sisters, go out now and pursue the big plans that God has for you. Do His will, His revealed will, in all your tasks, in your personal devotions, in your family life, in your church. And serve this exalted Jesus. Amen.